Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 41 of Season 5 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today, and uh, hopefully all week, if uh, she behaves herself, is uh, Heather Baxendale of The Word of Hellmouth. Welcome back, Heather. Hello. Thank you for having me back. I, I mean, I'll, I'll try not to get in trouble. I didn't get in trouble on the When Harry Met Sally one. That's so right. If That's I true. did good then, then, <laughs> then I'm going to sit here and be all kinds of well-behaved. Yes. Even I, though I, it's less fun. It's less fun sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be as, uh, you know, as professional and as adult as possible. So why not? <laughs> Okay, you are. I'm. I'm just trying to be respectful. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fairies. <laughs> I agree. I. Agree. Okay. So episode forty-one begins with John uh, thinking he's hallucinating about music coming from the distance, and ends with Trudeau starts to get rocking with some headphones. So basically, we we ended things off on Friday with John uh, escaping. The, through the escape hatch on, you know, in the elevator. And then he's walking around in a very steamy basement and starts walking down some stairs. And today we, we pick up from that where he's walking down the stairs and then we hear music in the background. And, you know, he is not sure if he's really listening, hearing this music, or is this something, you know, uh, coming from, I don't know. Well, he's kind of having some serious deja vu as it is. So... But there was yes, he's having deja vu, but there's there was no music in in uh, the Nakatomi building. No, no, there wasn't. But my my point was that he may be sitting here thinking he's losing his mind a little bit as it is. Correct. So to hear the music and actually assume maybe I am imagining this at this point, maybe I'm imagining this whole thing is actually a fairly reasonable yeah way to approach the situation. Okay, that's fair. Now, do you recognize the, the the music that we hear? Do you know the song? I did not, and you know what? I was going to look it up, and I figured you'd already have that information. So not only do I have that information, but everyone who's been listening to the last forty episodes, or even today, forty-one episodes, has they've heard this song as part of my intro for this for this season and the outro. We get David Brooke actually singing part of the song. So, you know, this is a song called "Old Cape Cod." which was written by Claire Rothrock, Milton Yakus, and Alan Jeffrey. Uh, and it uh, came out in 1957. And it was recorded by Patty Page. Okay, it, it, uh, it, it, was, it became a gold record. It sold more than a million copies. And uh, it is now known as the official Cape Cod anthem. And uh, basically, oh. basically, they, they claim that it, it uh, put the cape on the map. And uh, that's very interesting. And helped, helped establish Cape Cod as a major tourist destination. Which most of the people that live there, I know, are not big fans of it. That's where Adam's grandma is from. Oh, really? And, cool. Yeah. yeah. She and, talks about it all and, the time. And she talks about Cape Cod or she talks about the song Old Cape Cod? Cape Cod, but I'm going to ask her about the song now. She'll be excited. She might even listen to this podcast if I, if I let her know that we're discussing it. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, and hey, she's she's 77. She's she's pretty hip for her age. Hey, why not? <laughs> I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, final sign, uh, the final line of this uh, song is, you're sure to fall in love with, with the old Cape Cod. 
I wonder why they chose it for this scene then. I mean, you've got the you've got the Hawaiian dancer there. Well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're, we're, we'll get there yet. in a second. There I go, jumping ahead. That you there always do that. You always do that. <laughs> you know, know. Uh, Heather, we talked about this last time. You know, you have to take things in stride, little by little, and work your way up to things, and not just jump ahead. You know, patience, know. patience. Basically, <laughs> I've been hearing this my entire life. <laughs> One day, maybe it'll sink in. That's Hopefully fine. on one of your shows, Rob. Uh, possibly. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know why they chose this song here. It 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 gives a great ambiance. There's no question about that. You know, it works really well. Yeah. 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 I didn't know if there was any other particular hidden reason behind yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out specifically why they chose this. Um, I, I don't recall... If um, Rennie Harlan mentioned something on on the uh, commentary as to why they chose this song, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to recheck that and and get back to you on that one tomorrow. Maybe I'll, uh, you know, maybe, maybe maybe I missed it the first time around. We'll have to have to. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, this is a song that has been done so many times over the years. They even did it. There, there was a song in uh, 1989 for a commercial for American Savings Bank. That used something very similar and they got sued. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because wow. because and and basically uh, Patty uh, Patty Page sued them because it made it seem as if she was endorsing the bank, even though she claims that she wasn't. You know, uh, Bing Crosby uh, did did a version of it. We have uh, yeah. Uh, who else? Maybe that's someone that's, named. Maybe that's where I heard it before then could be because it, it sounded familiar to me but i didn't i didn't recall it and i did zero in on it because it's prevalent in the scene but yes. also because i knew that you were going to come with all sorts of fancy facts about it <laughs> that might be it yes yeah, so jerry vale has a version from 1963 uh also in the same year bobby rydell uh did one uh the four freshmen have a version of it from 1965 you see, there's there, there are a lot of famous people who've done it. Um, I mean, Robert Goulet even did a version of it wow. in 1965. I mean, uh, Bette, Bette Midler has has a version of it from 1972. All right, I want to hear Bette. I'm going to listen to it after this. <laughs> there, there are a lot of other people, but nothing that really... It was obviously... There's a lot of movies that it's been featured in besides this one. Uh, it was featured in a movie uh, in 1985 called Desert Hearts. Uh, then in uh, 2006, uh, your buddy Ridley Scott has one with uh, in the movie A Good Year with Russell Crowe. You know the song plays there. Um, there, there's an episode of of Mad Men that has it. So yeah, I mean it's it's there. It is. Ah, that's where you know it from. I guarantee you that I like I said there was something familiar about it, and I knew it sounded like something I had heard before and I couldn't place it. I definitely didn't know the singer and wasn't coming up with any of those details, but, but there was definitely familiarity and I've watched Mad Men multiple times. So it's probably, it's probably there that I, I cued into it. Or maybe I did hear a Bing Crosby version of it. I'm going to find out if I've heard the <laughs> Bette Midler version of it. It's very possible. You never know. Uh, and so basically you know, he, he moves towards the music, trying to figure out where it is. As he's walking, you know, we, we get a big what the f*** from him. You know, typical John McClane uh, talking to typical, himself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just had to get there. To himself, 
working is like I do that too, particularly when I'm by myself. If I'm alone, I I talk aloud constantly. If someone is randomly here, I I work remotely most of the time. So if someone's actually here while I'm I'm working, then I immediately will go. I I don't talk to myself all day. I'm talking to the cat, but I am. I'm talking to myself. I John McClain all day long. Okay. And as long as it's not your lawyer, so that's good. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Yippee Kaye on that account. For anyone who who wasn't who didn't listen to to the first to, to season three where when Heather was my guest, she had a divorce lawyer many years ago whose name was John McLean and didn't necessarily like the fact that she kept referring to him as the diehard guy, you know, more or less. But he was no, a good lawyer. No, but he's no, a good lawyer. Fact, <laughs> He was a great lawyer, and I literally had um, uh, the Yippie Kaye, um, because back then we still had our phones turned on, so we had ringtones, and we had all sorts of alarm stuff. Like, I had a text message for a long time that was the whistle from Kill Bill. Well, I had his his alert. It said Yippie Kaye. Okay. That so I always knew definitely he was makes sense. contacting me. Yeah. Yep. It was awesome. He might not have thought so, but he did a good job, so yeah. forgive him. I remember in the, the early days of the internet, I would have on my computer a whole bunch of different sounds from Shawshank Redemption, but there would be like quotes, you know, like, like I get an email and there'd be like a quote saying, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, what, what's, uh, he even sounded magnanimous, you know, something like that. It was just like, it was just weird, really weird. <laughs> and every, every few weeks I would change like what movie I was, I was getting quotes from, you know, on, you know, for all the different uh, sounds on my computer. But it, it, it's so fun to do stuff like that. It was really fun, but now thinking back, it's annoying. All the interaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But at first, it was a novelty. It was a lot of fun. That's right. And I mean, look at the amount of steam that there is in this basement. You know, I mean, we're we're gonna meet There's we're gonna meet Marvin in a little while, but that's you know, that doesn't look very safe for someone to be living there. <laughs> no, no, and. It seems like there's lockers there, too. It's like, okay, so clearly this is an area where people are regularly. Like you said, that's I, I don't think I want to go to my locker and be ambushed by steam. And it should be hot steam, but John's not reacting to it. So Well, he's got a sweater he's on, so, you know, why should it bother him? Yeah. Why should anything bother him anyway? He's John McClain. He can do what he That's wants. right. And, it, and as, as we know, it's probably fake. So, you know, that's... <laughs> Probably, yeah. It's it's probably not hot. It's probably cold. <laughs> and he probably saying it's to himself, contributing hmm. to the ambiance. So it gives us the the note that we need that he is in a janitorial type area. He's in a basement, something of that nature. And that's that's really the note that we're supposed to get yeah. and the message from that scene. And it's delivered. Yes. And and they do a great tracking shot because they they follow him as he's walking. And then he he comes into like this. I guess it's an apartment. You know, it's not meant to be an apartment. It's meant to be like a little uh, office. But, you know, the we see first thing we see when, when he walks into the room is there's a calendar on the wall. Unfortunately, it's a little out of focus. So I couldn't tell you, you know, when the calendar is actually from you know that that unfortunately um but then then we get a shot and i never noticed this before until obviously i was doing the research now of a whole bunch of little uh knickknacks that are just yeah. sitting on uh it's they're, they're not even on like a coffee table or anything like that they're on these like uh 
I think one of them one of it looks like a like an old time speaker, maybe a radio or That's something like that. It, it's it's one of those old turntables that you can actually box up like a suitcase and and take on with you. I think. But I right. Um, my mom had one of those, and it was actually in a green box, kind of like this. It was what it reminded me of. Hers wasn't quite this old. Uh, this is very antiqueish looking to me, but. But you see how the top part is with the the pictures and the little the little plastic snow globe and yes. the Hawaiian dancer lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that part comes down and it should snap. And I think that there's a little thing so you can actually carry it. Right. Okay. So I mean, he's got some. Cr there's some crazy stuff here. I mean, like first of all, the first thing we see is the picture of of the two Japanese women, which I have absolutely yes. no idea what that's supposed to uh, be I for him. I think it's a postcard. I don't know why it's there, but I feel like it's a postcard. Right. I mean, later on, he mentions the fact that he was in a, you know, that that uh, he was in Iwo Jima, Iwo Jima. So I don't know. Maybe that's a girlfriend of his when he was, you know, serving in the Far East. Maybe, but it's also strange. That it, would it make could, more sense. Right. But it also could be. Um, I, I don't know why I keep thinking it's from like the Mikado or something like that. You know, from you know what? Maybe that's what all these things are. Then maybe all these things came from places that he's been to. Because you have the San Francisco Giants guy, you have the Hawaiian hula dancer, and um, I can't tell what this little globe is. It looks like it's a fairy, and there's a Christmas tree, and then there's a deer. Uh, maybe it's Rudolph. Maybe it's Rudolph so and maybe... uh, and Saint Nick. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Something, something, but maybe the, that's what all of these things are. They represent places that he's been, and they remind him of that, which he would need if he's living in this yes, steam-filled basement. Correct. But I, I see. I think it's more not necessarily places that he's been, but I think it's just knickknacks that people have lost that he's picked up. You know that he now has souvenirs. <gasps> that's a from you know from all these places. Yeah. You know, if you look that's, if you look closely guess, at the yeah. snow globe, it looks like it's actually cracked. You know, that has like a little bit of a spider crack in it. Yes, yes. You know, there's there's also some really strange thing, which is right next to the bobblehead, which I can't. It's like a spool. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's it's a wire. Maybe wire. it's like a yo-yo. You know, they used to have yo-yos like that. I, I don't know. It's just it's very strange. It looks it looks it looks really thick, too. It looks like it's heavy duty for whatever purpose it is. But it's it's half a spool that's left of it. But it is. It's strange that it's there because everything else seems to serve some form of purpose. It seems like that's his yeah. happy spot right there. That's true. So, I mean, for me, I just found it really cool that he has all these things here. So, what do you know about bobbleheads? So, he has a bobblehead here of the San Francisco Giant. <laughs> well, I'm not a fan of bobbleheads. We could start with that. I own one. It's a Darth Maul one, but it wasn't purchased on my my behalf. It was given to me as a gift. So that's that's about the extent of my bobblehead knowledge. I've never felt inclined to research anything. Not even when you see it on a Movies by Minute uh, podcast while you're doing research. Mm. Listen, I am in full lazy mode. It finally just went from winter to spring here. And once again, I thought, you know what? My good friend, Rob, he knows everything. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know everything, but I look it up. <laughs> I know. I'm willing everything. to look it up. He's going to tell me all about the the bobblehead. No, I yes, I, I am. Uh, but yes, you are. Am. See, see. <laughs> do you know? Do you know any other names for it besides bobblehead? 
No, I don't think so. Okay, so it's also known as a nodder, a wobbler, a wacky wobbler. Wacky wobbler. Yeah. I like wacky wobbler. That's more fun. It's more of a mouthful, of course. It's not going to be as easy to market, but I like it. Yeah. I think I'll just call them wacky wobblers now. And then when someone <laughs> tries to correct me, I'll be like, listen, Rob told me that's a real name and I can use it. So you might get some angry emails, I hope. Uh, no problem. Email, I don't <laughs> mind getting angry emails, happy emails, everything. Just send emails, you know. <laughs> this way I know people are listening. People are, are you know, if even if you, you have a complaint, let me know. That's fine, too. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not. So Email me if you have complaints. I'll handle it. No, I said I said I don't, I don't mind. So why is that? Uh... <laughs> okay. Yes. So uh, it's basically a collectible figurine that usually has a an oversized head, which is it. It's not connected directly to the body. It's connected by a spring or a hook, and if you tap it, it will cause the head to to move move around, you know, and bobble. Which is obviously why that's why it's known as a it bobblehead. The attraction to them, I think they're kind of creepy. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do. That's, that. that's why I'm not a fan. I'm not. I'm not like. I, I'm not going to burn any if they were to come into my house. As I said, I I, I have one, but I've just always looked at them going. They're kind of creepy and weird. Not really a fan. But some people have massive collections of them and. And really love them. And isn't that kind of where uh, the Funkos were inspired by? Were inspired by the bobbleheads? Uh, very possibly. Very possibly. Then, do you know how far back? You know? Do you know when uh, the first uh, pseudo bobblehead was ever created? I'm guessing fairly early on, considering I'm looking at this one right now, and it's it it's relatively old. You want an okay. actual date, don't you? How about 1943? Yeah. How about this? How about the 1600s? Stop it! Yes. <laughs> All right. They've they, been around since the 1600s. They've earned their place in society, yes. and I'll stop so complaining in, about bobbleheads. In Asia, they they made figurines of Buddha and other religious figures. They were called temple nodders. So the idea was is that they were, you know, that their their heads moved moved back and forth. Oh my goodness! I wonder if Buddha would approve. Maybe. Okay, in, Buddha's a chill in, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> usually, 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 usually. <laughs> so in, oh, in 1842, there was a, a story written by uh, Nikolai Gogol called The Overcoat, where the main character's neck was described as being like the necks of the plaster cats which wag their heads. Well, that sounds comforting. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, and they they were mostly being manufactured in Germany. And then in the 1920s and 30s, they, they started importing them uh, in mass, you know, mass importation to, to the U.S. And in the 50s, they became really popular and they started making them with plastic or porcelain and stuff like that. OK, in yeah, this 19 one looks porcelain. Right. In 1960, uh, Major League Baseball decided to start uh, uh, making bobblehead dolls for each team. And they would, over time, start changing them to, to you know, to have different, to, the, to look like different players. So I, I have a feeling that this one is from that time. 
I think know, you're right. Even though, even though they they mentioned here, you know, they had one for Roberto Clemente, they had Mickey Mantle, they had Roger Maris, they had Willie Mays. Willie Mays was actually on the Giants, but this figurine does not look like Willie Mays. He's, uh, no. you know, he, he's he's a little too pale to 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 be Willie Mays. Just um, yes. Um, and they would they made them for a whole bunch of different uh, other sports and for cartoon characters. And do you know what the most famous bobblehead uh, uh, set is? Uh, I'm just going to guess Mickey Mouse. The Beatles. Oh, of course, obviously. My goodness. If it beca- especially becoming popular in the 50s. Yes. Well. And then it, it surged once again in popularity in the 90s. Um, people were still trying to get collector's items, you know, the old ones. And they they were starting they, they weren't making them any more ceramic uh, uh, they they were making them you know more more affordable I guess you can say <laughs> and they would you know there were there were teams that would give away bobbleheads you know at the games they'd have like bobblehead night and everyone would get it stuff like that and the very cool. the very first team to do that was let's see if you can guess the Giants very good the Giants. All right. On May 9th, 1999, they gave out 35,000 Willie May Willie Mays um bobbleheads. You know, that was the first bobblehead uh game. There is actually a museum of bobbleheads in Milwaukee. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they even have, you know, bobbleheads uh, you know, of the Pope and things like that. They now they now have an, uh, a bobblehead day in the U.S., which is January seventh. It's a bobblehead day. Yes. Well, I guess there's International Grilled Cheese Day. Why can't the bobbleheads have their day? That's right. There you go. That's fair. And now, what do you? Th- how do you think? <laughs> how big do you think, or how large do you think the largest bobblehead is? And this is in the Guinness Book of World Records. Ten feet tall. 15 feet, four inches tall. It is a St. Bernard named Goldie, which is the mascot of applied underwriters. That might be a little terrifying. Uh, yeah. 15 foot tall St. Bernard, I'll pass. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely I agree like with you on that. I like myself a dog. <laughs> In yes. fact, I love dogs. Don't want to meet that one. They they have bobbleheads of all, all the... Um, uh, Supreme Court justices over the years. <laughs> so weird. It's so weird. Is it just me, or is it just not a little strange? Yes, it is. It is. I mean, I get, I get the Beatles, the, and I, I actually get the sports memorabilia too. It, it kind of goes together. Sports, sports stuff is, is a little different. I feel like, but <laughs> just random Saint Bernard that's fifteen feet tall and. Yeah, seriously. The Pope. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yeah, and, and people can, can get custom bobbleheads these days. Yeah. Yeah, they do that with Funkos too. You can get your, your own done of your likeness. Yeah. I don't want that. I want I want to be somebody else <laughs> yeah. for a Funko. I, I, I agree with you on that. All right, so that's that's what I got about bobbleheads. Now what about snow globes? What do, what do you know? What, what do you know any other names for a snow globe? I don't. They are known also as water globes, snowstorms, 
or snow domes. Snow domes is cool. Yes. Yes. I like snow domes. <laughs> we should change it. Snow globes is cool though. Yeah. I'm I'm good with snow globes. Yeah. They hit that one on the mark pretty well. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's, so it's a transparent sphere traditionally made of glass, enclosed, uh, enclosing a miniaturized scene of some sort. And uh, it's sometimes a model of a town, neighborhood, landscape, figure, something like that. And uh, they, they, it's enclosed with water inside the globe. right? And then they have something inside that when you shake it, it will you know, have these white particles uh, move around to make it look like it's snowing wherever it is. And they have so many different variations of that now, too. But that falls into the category, too, of like another big collectible item. I mean, you can find any version of any snow dome yes. in any kind of location that you travel to if you go to a gift shop. Um, I had a friend of mine and she traveled all over the whole world, which was really cool. But one of the things she did every time she went to a new country was get some kind of snow globe. Or, That's really cool. And sometimes they're not snow. Yeah, yeah they were. She has literally had like a giant wall just dedicated to them. It was it was kind of neat just to go over there. And because I'm clumsy, I looked and not touched. It's kind of what I do when somebody has a newborn baby too. Here, hold my baby. Nope, I'll just look. <laughs> That's a cute baby. Yeah, I do the same thing with snow globes. Oh, wow. I'll look. I don't want to shake them. <laughs> I'll drop it. I know. <laughs> yeah. If it's from Milan, I don't want to smash <laughs> it because you can't just go buy another that's one. True. That's true. <laughs> These are memories. That's true. So, so yeah. Yeah, I had a friend, really I had a friend years ago that I, like I had a friend years ago that she would uh, collect thimbles. Every country she would go, she would buy a, like a little thimble, you know, like that had some sort of design on it and something like that. You know, not, not like the, the Monopoly thimble where it all looks the same. Yeah, I've, I've seen them. I've seen them in places. That's actually kind of cool. Too. Oh, wow. I like those things. I do magnets. Magnets is my thing. Okay. My my kids do um, uh, keychains. Keychains is key another chains. good yeah. one. And the cool thing about stuff like that is you can find them. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. So uh, when do you think the, the first snow dome was was uh, patented? 1834. <laughs> Actually, that's a little too early. It was it basically what it says here is just that it was the end of the 19th century in Austria. Okay, so I wasn't as far behind. As now I the the that. irony is is that the, this guy uh, named Erwin uh, Percy, he originally was trying to develop a an extra bright light source to use as a surgical lamp. Okay, and. As he tried to intensify the the candle power each time, uh, so it it uh, it kept changing the reflection and stuff like that, and it kept reminding him of a snowfall, you know, because it would it would bright it would light up all these different particles around there and stuff like that. So it gave him the idea, you know, to he the first one was a model of the basilica, and he he ended up uh, opening a store in Vienna where he and his family started. Uh, you know, selling them. Yeah. And the That's first really one came cool. to, a, the first one in America, that, uh, the known in America was in 1927 uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Awesome. And uh, he, the, it, it was, it was <laughs> basically, it was from a company that was, that was selling pool ornaments. Really? Yeah. It, I always love it. It's always cool to hear about all these different <laughs> inventions that are accidentally created. You know, that, that wasn't what they were expecting to and yeah, it just yeah. happened. 
that is kind of neat. Yeah. So it's it's very cool the 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 way that uh, these snow globes work. I mean, the problem is is that if you get a crack a little bit larger than the one in in the scene here, uh, the odds are all the 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 liquid is going to come out of it. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that was my first experience with the snow globe. Actually, we had a few we'd gotten for Christmas, I think it was, or some. I'm guessing Christmas, and we usually kept them and some other of the nicer stuff inside. Mm-hmm. And my dad had put the snow globe box and all the fragile stuff. Um, he put it in them for a few years. I don't think we got any snow globes or snow domes after that for some time. I can't, it can't understand why. It was a sore subject at our house. Yeah, can't, can't <laughs> understand why. <laughs> so, tell me, can you think of a movie, a classic movie, that a snow globe plays a very, very uh, large part in the plot? No, the first thing that comes to mind is the Santa Claus Okay, that is on this list as another movie that deals with it, but uh, I was referring to Citizen Kane. Oh, yes, indeed. It's been a moon since I've watched yes, that. That's that's the, the beginning of the movie where he's he's holding up the, the snow globe and drops it and says Rosebud. Yeah. And as it smashes. So, you know, that, that's just... Uh, I'm the ghost thing. Basically. And can you think of any TV show? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was from the 80s which ends with a snow globe in the series finale. It's not the 80s. It's not even the 90s. And the first one I went to is Bird Notice. Fiona collects snow globes, too. That's 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 the first thing that popped into my head. No, that's not what I'm referring to. No, it's not. Have you ever seen uh, St. Elsewhere? No, never watched it. You've heard of it, though? I've heard of it. I'm aware of it. Okay, so it was was a medical uh, drama show. You know, for for five seasons in the '80s, and the final episode, they basically—I'm spoiling it for everybody. You know, they they made it that the entire show was the dream of an autistic kid, who at the end he's looking in a he's looking at a snow globe of the building, you know, of the hospital. So they Bob hoped it, sorta, right? No, Bob Newhart. Okay. Bob Newhart is Newhart. That's right. Newhart. There you yes. go. Thank you. They 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 sort of did that. Yes. Which is which is very cool. Some people like that. Some people get really, really mad when you you try to present the it was all a dream. Yeah. No, I understand. To them, I definitely understand the. Yeah. I understand both feelings on that one. I do too. It's just a personal preference. Yeah. I think. Okay. Is really it makes sense. Um, and then we get a little bit. Then the 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 camera pans down a little bit, and we see a record playing the song. You know, we're we're still hearing the song Old Cape Cod. And the record player, you can see that it is a Watson record player. Yep. Which I found to be really cool. And, you know, John is just looking at it. And as then he decides he's going to turn off the music. I don't know why, but whatever. You know, it's not like it's wasting electricity or anything like that. (laughs) You know, know, and he's, he's busy. You know, playing with the the record player instead of trying to figure out, you know, how he's going to, you know, save the day. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, we see him him, uh, you know, pull, uh, turn off the the record player by by picking up the the needle, you know, and taking it off. And then we see a shot of a hand, you know, reaching out to touch his back, and he reacts really really fast. 
Yeah, you got to give him credit. He's got great yeah, reflexes. Yeah, very here. impressive. Yes. Great reflexes. The way that he just it's, turns around. And and the, the way it's shot, too, you, you really feel that and you get to actually see it. It's a really, really great shot. It's fast and it happens quickly, but it's it's really great. Yeah, and he pulls out his gun really quickly also. Come on. You know, oh, sorry, he had his gun out already, but he picks up the gun. Gun is in his left hand because he uses his right hand to, you know, to, 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 grab to turn off the, the needle, to pick up the needle. I'm trying to think if he, if we see that he has the gun in his hands beforehand. No, this minute we don't see any gun in his hand beforehand, right? But, nope. but basically, you know, he, he grabs this, this mysterious figure and throws him up against a bunch of lockers behind him. Okay, but... And he has the gun in his left hand at this point, and like jams it into the guy's neck. And poor guy, I'm pretty sure had an accident. That's right. Which is totally probably reasonable. yes. And he goes, "Who are you?" <laughs> and he goes, "I'm I'm Marvin. Marvin. I'm Marvin." And he points to his uh, you know nameplate, saying Marvin. And he goes, "I thought you was trying to steal my records. That's all." And then John like gives him gives him a strange look. Yep. You know. Hey, it's fair. If you're going to steal somebody's vinyl, they have yeah. a right to come at you. <laughs> That's true. And then John basically, you know, looks at him and, and sees the name tag and believes him. You know, he starts letting up a little bit and he goes, I'm just the janitor. Well, I like to. And and I mean, we can tell as the viewers, I think, for the most part. But we've already gotten the precursor of what all the villainous bad guys look like. They're all very tall with broad shoulders. They have really really high cheekbones and thick strong jaws they all have a very similar-esque look and feel to them yes. this guy clearly does not fit the bill but no. the actor which oh what is his name it's is it tom bauer yes tom bauer. um yeah he's he's really great he has like this this almost sweetness like a, a wounded animal almost like in his eyes and john would be able to cue into that too yeah. Without him even saying anything and explaining himself. The fact that he does is, is fine, but I feel like that scene could have actually happened with very, very, very little dialogue, which there's really not in the first place. And you don't really need much dialogue, good, you know, that type of thing. No, no. But it was it's a good it's a good moment. And you yes. can see he recognizes that immediately when he does. Yeah, for sure. And it shifts in Bruce Willis's eyes as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sure. I am no longer murderous. It's cool. That's right. <laughs> so he says he's a janitor. Do you know any other names for, for you know, a janitor? Custodial engineer. Okay. That's one of them. Custodian. Um, I know that there's a bunch of new ones that I should probably keep up on, but those those are the first that come to mind. Okay. So the, the ones that are listed here is custodian, porter, clean, uh, cleanser, cleaner, or caretaker. Right. So it's, okay. it's a person who cleans and maintains buildings. Uh, sometimes they carry out maintenance and security duties. And, um, you know, it's the type of job sometimes hear, that, that building superintendents do and stuff like that. You know, the supers dealing with the stuff. Yeah, I hear cleaner, though, and I immediately think of that's that's someone who's going to come and clean up your mess after you, you've killed a lot of people. Could be. Like John Wick. That's That's got to be who he's got on speed dial. Call the cleaners, have them come over, give them your coin, move on. Right, okay, that, that's Harvey Keitel is the cleaner, you know, in uh, yes. in Pulp Fiction, and he's also the cleaner. The Wolf, indeed. And what other movie, do you, do you know what other movie he plays the cleaner in? I do not. Point of No Return with Bridget Fonda, which was the... Oh, that's a great movie! Yeah, which is the American version of uh, La Femme Nikita. 
So he's he's yes. the cleaner there also. I haven't watched that in so long. Now I'm I'm going to watch that very <laughs> soon. I'm, I'm writing it down so I don't forget. I have probably haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but I loved that movie. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. Now you all should go watch it too if you haven't. It's a good time. Yeah. At least as I remember it. <laughs> yes, it was it was a lot of fun. I remember seeing it in the theater. It was a lot of fun back then. I've seen it since, but uh, you know, maybe maybe I need to rewatch it now also. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the original though. Cause like, why do you no. need to? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. Um, so the, the, the word janitor actually comes from Latin, which is ianitor, which as we all know from Indiana Jones and the last crusade, you know, in Latin J is an I. So it could be that it's pronounced janitor the same way, which means a doorkeeper or a porter comes from the, the word Janus which is the Roman god of doors, gates, and portals. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's way cooler than custodian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and actually, that, that the first known use of the word janitor is in 1708 as a caretaker of a building who is employed to see the rooms are kept clean. I like caretaker better. I think we should use caretaker. I like caretaker. I know. Caretaker makes me think of... Uh, of of uh oh any movie the with longest, the haunting the, the longest, haunted house in it. the longest yard the longest yard oh yeah yeah that works too i the i immediately caretaker. go to to haunt old haunted house movies though or books okay. there's always a caretaker always sometimes the caretaker fair. is the ghost and you don't realize True. it to the end see we've just went on a journey <laughs> we always go on these journeys which is why it's so much fun yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think that the way that Marvin talks here makes it that we're supposed to think that he has some sort of uh, mental problem or something like that? Not immediately. No. No, because no. the way he talks, the way he talks, makes him sound like Rain Man a little bit. I'm Marvin. Marvin. I'm I'm Marvin. You know. I it, to me, it just came off as as panicked and 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 okay. I would not uh, and and okay, I, that would be. That would be quite a jump, but I would say perhaps he is someone with a lower IQ. Maybe he's okay. he's a, yeah, maybe he's a little bit on on that end of things. He's not particularly quick, so yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that's definitely possible. That wasn't my initial response to it, but I could see why you right. think that. No, or I, someone I, else wasn't would. My or someone initial... else might. Right. It wasn't my initial response either I until I was watching it, you know, very slowly here. So. Yes, we're in slow-mo. No, we're not in slow-mo, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I've been in slow-mo a few times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we get like three seconds at the end of this minute, which is just a shot of Trudeau putting on a pair of headphones to, I guess, listen to Footloose or something like that. You know, which, I uh, hope so. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe maybe tomorrow we'll find out that he's doing something else, but maybe he's just listening to some some good music here. Fred Thompson characters are usually doing something nefarious, so Footloose, I he, like that idea in my head. Okay, but he first of all, he's usually a good guy. See, I think of him as kind yeah, of usually not like like Congo. He's not. He's not. Well, maybe he's usually a bureau, a bureaucrat, but yeah. not necessarily. Not necessarily a good bureaucrat or a bad bureaucrat, just a bureaucrat. You know, he, Which, he works in, he works well that way. 
this is true. But that that immediately in my headspace goes into the not really a good guy category. Not necessarily right. evil. Like okay. even here in this movie, he's not a bad guy. Right. Okay. No, of but, course not. He's definitely not a bad guy here. No, but he's definitely not a good guy either. He's just there no. taking up space, causing problems for John while he's trying to get things done. That's correct. All right, so you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? Uh, no, no, we covered pretty much everything. We're good at that. Okay, so the, the script has like an entire page that takes place tomorrow. So and then and then it jumps to today. So it's like a little it's it, they, they switch things around a little bit. So I'm going to skip a little bit just to talk about the stuff that's taking place today. Um, it's very descriptive and it's got a longer conversation between John and Marvin. So it starts off with saying, McLean appears in the gloom close to camera, clothes now a little greasy and dirty from his little escape. McLean says to himself, I don't believe this. Another <laughs> elevator, another <laughs> basement. Why does this always happen to me? He moves through the uh, cavernous maze and then reacts to music, moves towards it and arrives in an apartment or something like it here in an area reached only by somebody with a groundhog in his ancestry is a space with some battered chairs, a three-legged card table, a cot made up with faded but neat covers, some 50s vintage but lovely scotch-taped pinups, and a tiny kitchen precariously propped up on a big purple plumbing valve on the wall. On a phonograph, the source of the music, a 78 spinning on the old machine. McLean hand picks it up, and we widen as he looks at it curiously. A hand reaches for McLean's shoulder. McLean's instincts take over. In a flash, he whirls, and, and his would-be attacker is pinned against the wall. It's a wizened man in his 60s who now raises his hands to show he ain't looking for trouble. Who the f*** are you? In response, the man points to the name tag on his coveralls. Marvin, I'm Marvin. Thought you was trying to steal my records. That's all. He moves to them possessively. They're valuable, you know. Me, I like those old 78s. Won't find me switching like everybody else to those newfangled 45s. McLean reacts to that. Here's at him. You're what? The janitor? Damn straight janitor and proud of it. Don't need any of this newfangled custodial engineer crap. Just do my job and screw the fancy talk. You know, you're not supposed to be down here. McLean looking around. Yeah, just like you're not supposed to be living here. Who, who, who said I was living here? McLean shows his badge. Come on, Marvin. I wasn't born yesterday. Carmine Lorenzo. No, you don't go home after you punch out. Lorenzo. Come on, officer. I can barely get by, even with my, my pension. You know, I'm a vet. WW2. If it wasn't for guys like me, you kids would be eating sushi today. I'm just trying to save a few bucks. I could get fired if you tell. McLean moves over to the big panel with the telephone lines and jacks, examines it as he speaks. I'm a veteran myself, Marvin, and a married one. You married? Six times. My wife may be in some <laughs> trouble upstairs. And McLean goes, my wife may be in some trouble upstairs. I got to find out. This setup of yours, I won't tell a soul, providing you patch me into this panel. Let me eavesdrop on the tower. What do you say? Marvin goes, you a cop or a lawyer? And that's pretty much how the whole, uh, and it goes in the script. Now, I like what they do here, but I'm also glad they cut it out. It's just not needed. It's yeah, a it's little, not. little extraneous. It's fun. It's fun reading and listening to, but no. Yeah, it's, it's a cool, <laughs> it's a cool little bit, but it's totally unnecessary. And yeah. really, the only purpose it served would be to kind of blackmail him by saying, "Hey, do this for me, and I won't, I won't tell on you." But That's they didn't right. really, yeah, they didn't really need that between them, though. No, 
No, but I like the fact that he goes, you don't have to call me a total engineer. I know. That's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> yes. Back in 1990. So even 33 years ago. Well, so. I specifically remember that. And that was why it was the first one that came to my mind, because I was still in school at the time. And I was probably in well, junior high, which is now middle school, but junior high at the time. And I think that's when they started basically telling us, yeah, we don't call them janitors anymore. We call them custodial engineers. And I remember that transition of verbiage. Okay. Cool. Um, all right, so every Monday we have a segment called McLean Monday, where my guests will give their top five Bruce Willis performances. So, uh, Heather, what have you got for us? What are your favorite Bruce Willis performances? This is really hard for me because he has a lot of really great movies, and I love them. And they're they're very different, too. Um, I really wanted to include Red because I love it, but I didn't. So, for number five, I have The Fifth Element. Corbin Dallas is a delightful time. I am a meat popsicle. Number four is Looper. I love this movie so much, and whenever I can bring it up, I will, and I want more people to watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. Joe goes in it. If you haven't seen it, Rob knows every movie, so I don't have to reiterate this to Rob, but Looper, if you're listening, watch it if you haven't. It's absolutely fantastic. Really, really cool time paradox stuff, too, which is my jam. Yeah, I love this, too. Yeah, yeah, it's so fun. Uh, number three is 12 Monkeys, which is still one of my favorite movies ever. I love it so, so much. It's absolutely phenomenal. And Brucey's great in it. Number two is Die Hard. I got to pick one, which actually, I think this is the only one that would have been on my list. And it's the first one, which fairsies. And okay. uh, my number one is Pulp Fiction. I, 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 I'm a Tarantino junkie. So I'm literally sitting here reading cinema uh, <laughs> I'm reading his book Cinema Speculation right now, but I oh, love wow. I love Pulp Fiction and Bruce Willis was great in it, and it was a big turnaround in his career for him and for you know Travolta as well. But he's absolutely fantastic in it. Yeah, he's great there. I mean, I remember when it when it came out, it was like very surprising that that Bruce Willis was in it, and you know, and then his character is just very different from what we're used to seeing. So. Yeah, I mean, I think around that time, uh, I think Travolta was doing the, uh, I think he and Travolta were doing the the Look Who's Talking movies was like right before that or around that time, too. Uh, it was a few years before. Look Who's Talking yeah. came out in 89, and yeah. this was, ni- and Pulp Fiction in 94. So. And I remember, I haven't watched it in probably 30 years, but I remember liking it as a kid, but I... The next thing that I I saw them in together was Pulp Fiction, which my parents didn't really do a lot of censoring as far as movie watching went. But I wasn't allowed to watch Pulp Fiction at first, which was a rare, rare thing for my parents to say. (laughs) It was like a year. Looking back, back, they knew what they were talking about. They did not. (laughs) It was arbitrary. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) All right, Heather, so you want to tell people where they can find uh, Heather Baxendale? Oh, yeah. You can um, listen to uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, Word of Hellmouth, on rabbitholepodcast.com. And uh, last month, my second book in my series, The Prophecy, Bounty Hunters, just came out. You can find that on Amazon under my pen name, H.B. Walsh. All right. Very cool. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe to any podcast you might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Your Out Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, or you can find me on my website, moveyourabminute.com. So, until tomorrow, yippee ki
Yippee Kai Yay! If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages. Here 